just going to intro the book of Matthew today, and we're going to talk about um, the book itself, uh, some of its themes, just kind of give us an idea of what we're going to be studying over the, last, uh, over the next couple of months, and uh, give us an idea of, of what we're going to be pulling uh, ideas and truths from, what we're going to be focusing on, and then we're going to talk about Matthew himself for a little bit today, uh, because I think as we look at Matthew himself and, and uh, his conversion, how Jesus reached him, we know, of course, he's one of the 12 disciples that Jesus called. And so I think as we study how Matthew was called, then we'll get a little bit of insight as far as how God used him to write the book of Matthew. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and uh, then we're going to jump right into things today. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be in your house today. Lord, I thank you for this group of believers that's assembled this morning. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for, uh, Lord, their desire to learn and to uh, be close to you. Father, I pray that you teach us. Uh, Lord, we need you. We are studying a spiritual book And Lord, we by ourselves have human fleshly carnal minds, and we need you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. We need you to speak to us. We need you to lead our thoughts. We need you to focus our minds. Uh, We need you to give us truth. Uh, you, you, You told us that you would teach us and speak to us truth, and so we need you to speak to us truth today. I pray that you be glorified in the service that will follow, that you be lifted up as we make much of Jesus. Uh, Lord, that you'd be exalted in the singing and the preaching. And, uh, Father, we would be able uh, to say that we've met with you today because we were here. We love you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. And so the book of Matthew, and uh, as you look at the four different Gospels, and and certainly we know that all four of them written by four different men uh, at four different times, and all of them have a little bit different perspective uh, on the life of Jesus and his work and mission to this, this earth. And uh, each one of them are a different man, a different, from a different culture. And so that uh, is a little bit, uh, uh, it plays into how they write their book and, and, and what the Holy Spirit does to inspire them to write their book. Matthew is a Jew. He's writing to Jews. And he is writing about the king of the Jews, Jesus being the king of the Jews. Mark is a Roman. He is writing primarily to Romans. And he is writing as a Roman. He's writing about Jesus being the servant of all. Uh, Luke is a Greek. He is writing to Greeks, and he is writing about Jesus being the Son of Man. And each one of these men, as they write in these particular forms and with these particular emphasis, they're appealing to uh, their specific, uh, the, the readers that are going to read them, the cultures that are going to read them. And then John is a Christian writing to the world uh, about the Son of God. And so each one of them have a different emphasis, a different identification of Jesus, Uh, really a different overall cultural tone as far as what they focus on in their books. And so as we look at Matthew, Matthew identifies Jesus as king. Matthew identifies Jesus as king. That's really the theme of this book. The theme verse of Matthew is Matthew 4.17, where it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But let me give you a few things about uh, about the book of Matthew there in your notes. First of all, the theme of the book of Matthew is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the kingdom of God, that phrase is used five different times in the book of Matthew. The, the phrase kingdom of heaven is used 33 different times in the book of Matthew. 
Um, the book of Matthew, again, identifies Jesus as king. It identifies Jesus as king. And as we read through Scripture, certainly we see many, many, many places where Jesus, God, is referred to as king. You find that many times throughout the book of Psalms. Um, you, you, you see that uh, in the book of Revelation. But you see the focus of Jesus, his ministry, um, his, where he fit into the Jewish culture and, and how they saw him. You see him identified primarily as king in the book of Matthew. Um, when we read Matthew chapter number 1, and we'll get into this next week, but if you read Matthew chapter number 1, the majority of that chapter is the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, it goes back through and traces his ancestry, and it goes back through, first of all, from his earthly father, Joseph, which a king's lineage goes through the father, and it goes back through David, King David. And so it's very important uh, because that identifies Jesus as king. Uh, the uh, word kingdom is used a lot. And of course, we just said kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And I think it's important because uh, if you're in Matthew chapter number one, uh, just turn the page and look at Matthew chapter number two. And look at verse number two. Matthew 2.2. 2. This, of course, we have just read this not too long ago with the Christmas story, the story of the bad giant, the wise men. And they've come to Herod the king, and they say, uh, in verse number two, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They are looking for a king. And so uh, they are searching for the kingdom of Jew king of the Jews and his kingdom. Um, there is a clear picture of discipleship in the book of Matthew as Jesus calls his disciples and as Jesus is referred to many times as the king, as he is emphasizing the kingdom of heaven and his desire to bring the kingdom of heaven here to this earth, the, the, the purpose of his followers, of his disciples to bring about the kingdom of heaven and to introduce other people to that. Uh, we said just a minute ago, but the book of Matthew is Jewish in its emphasis and Preparation, how Matthew writes, the things that he focuses on. Uh, Matthew will focus a lot on Jesus' teachings, um, and that was important. The truths that Jesus taught, not necessarily his parables, although there are many in there. Uh, Luke seems to refer to uh, Jesus' parables a little more often. There's a few parables in Luke that aren't in the other Gospels. But Matthew focuses on Jesus' teaching, and that was very important for the Jews. Uh, that was very important that, that uh, the one that was considered to be the Messiah, the king, was also a teacher because that appealed to the Jewish people. Um, and as we look and think about Matthew, um, really the Gospels as a whole, the Gospels are the watershed moment in human history uh, and the Bible itself. Because the Bible starts with perfect creation where God creates the heavens and the earth, all that's therein, man, uh, Adam and Eve, he creates all of that. It is a perfect creation. We know that the fall of man brings sin into this world. It brings the separation of man from God. Uh, we know that God promises right after that to reconcile sinners and to restore all that is broken. And so when we get to the Gospels, all of that that is promised, everything that we read in the Old Testament, everything that God promised initially after man fell, is fulfilled in the Gospels. And each one of them, again, from a different perspective. All equally true and all equally right. Jesus in Matthew 
fits into that fulfillment of God's promise as the long-awaited king or Messiah who has come to restore his creation by bringing in God's kingdom. Uh, We just read in Matthew 417, it's announced by Jesus' words that the kingdom of heaven as is at hand. We see it as we read Matthew's accounts of Jesus' healing, that his power as king is to restore that which is broken. It's accomplished by Jesus through his death and resurrection. In fact, uh, hold your place in Matthew 1 and go to Matthew chapter number 20. Matthew chapter number 20. And look at verse number 28. The Bible says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the fulfillment of the promise that God has made to the world is fulfilled in Jesus in the book of Matthew. Here, as he says in verse number 28, that he is going to accomplish that through his death and resurrection. And it's promised to be fully realized when Jesus comes again. And so how does Matthew fit in the story of the entire Bible? How does Matthew fit into where man has fallen after the perfect creation? God has promised to restore them. And now we know through the story of Jesus that man is restored in salvation. How does Matthew fit into that? Well, first of all, Matthew looks back on the story of the Old Testament, like all the other Gospels. But Matthew looks back on the story of the Old Testament and shows how Jesus himself brings fulfillment uh, to those promises. Uh, Again, Matthew is Jewish, and so he's going to appeal to the Jewish people. He's going to refer to prophecies. He's going to refer to Old Testament promises. And there's going to be a lot of examples as we go through Matthew of how Jesus is the one that fulfills those promises and those prophecies. And that's important for the Jewish people. Matthew's trying to make a case that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king, the one that they've long been waiting for. Not the one that was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman rule, but one that would set up a heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and overthrow the rule of sin in each of our lives. And so Matthew looks back at the story of the Old Testament, but then Matthew looks ahead at the story of the church by propelling it to the world to take the gospel to the nations. This is also important. Again, Matthew is Jewish. He's writing to Jewish people. The Jews have historically, up to this point, when Matthew is writing, have held to the idea and belief that the Messiah is coming for who? Them. And them alone. The Messiah was coming for the Jewish people. He was coming to bring them salvation. And again, many of them thought it was earthly salvation. But the Messiah was coming to bring salvation to them. And Matthew says, no, it's bigger than that. Yes, I'm writing to you Jewish people. I'm writing to uh, tell you that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king, the one that was promised to you. But he is here for the world. And you that believe that have the responsibility to go share that with others. That's why the last verses in Matthew are the what? The Great Commission. The last verses in Matthew, in Matthew chapter number 28, are the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and teach all nations. And so Matthew is making sure that we look ahead, that the gospel, that Jesus the King come, yes, promised to the Jewish people, but he's come for the whole world. And that's important. Uh, And so that leads us to Matthew himself. And so look at Matthew chapter number 9. 
Matthew chapter number 9. It's important to understand how books of the Bible fit into the Bible as a whole. The story of the Bible as a whole. And um, as we go through Matthew and study the different stories and truths in Matthew, then we're going to see how those Jewish references and those Jewish emphasis uh, are carried throughout the rest of the book. But now we get to Matthew himself. And so just for the last few minutes that we have together, I want us to focus on Matthew himself, the author of the book of Matthew. And so Matthew chapter number 9, this is when we first read of Matthew himself in Scripture. He's referred to in several of the other books, or the other Gospels, his calling, and we'll get to that in just a second. But this is where we first read about him. So Matthew 9, verse number 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Matthew, the author, he is also called Levi in another gospel. And it was not uncommon for Jewish people to have two first names, Simon Peter, uh, so Matthew Levi would have been his full name. Uh, he's referred to as the son of Alphaeus. Um, and, and so both of those, we know that he is a Jewish man. Matthew, Levi, and Alphaeus, all Jewish names. And the Bible says there in, in verse number 9 that he was sitting at the receipt of custom. And so Matthew was a tax collector or a publican. And if you know anything about your Bible and your Bible history, you know that publicans or tax collectors were Jewish men and women most of the time who were hated by their countrymen. They were hated by the rest of the Jews around them because they were seen to be collaborators uh, with the Romans. The Romans were the occupying country, the occupying force, the oppressing force, the oppressors. And these Jews were working with the Romans to aid in the oppression of their countrymen. Uh, very similar to uh, in World War II and those that aided maybe Nazi Germany in different countries and how they were hated by their countrymen for helping the enemy. And that's how these tax collectors and publicans were seen uh, in Matthew's day. And really, as you look at tax collectors and you study them in history, I did a little bit of reading about it, very fascinating. There's two kinds. Uh, there, first of all, was just the general tax collector. He was known uh, as uh, the Gabai, and he collected the regular taxes. He collected taxes like uh, if you, you know, your, your grain, if you brought in a lot of grain, then you had to pay a certain percentage of that grain to the government. Uh, if you uh, made income, he collected your income tax. Uh, if you were born, you know, the, the census that took place that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem when Jesus was born, that kind of a population or a poll tax, he would collect that. And so he didn't do a whole lot. And so the people really didn't, uh, they didn't like him, uh, but they didn't hate him quite as much as the second kind of tax collector, which was known as a mochay. And a mochay was the more powerful tax collector. And this was the kind of tax collector that Matthew was. 
because the Mohei had a custom house. He had a place that you had to come to, uh, and he would collect taxes. He had more control over the taxes he collected and how much he collected when the tax was due. Uh, he would collect taxes on imports, on exports, on sales. He would collect tolls from roads, from bridges, from harbors, for just entering a town. Uh, he had the ability to create whatever tax he wanted at any point. He could create a tax for how many wheels you had on your wagon, how many axles you had on your wagon, uh, how many animals you had pulling your wagon. And he could charge you pretty much whatever he wanted when he charged you that tax for those things. Uh, he, if you wanted to go into the market to buy or sell, he could charge you a tax just for going into the market. Uh, if you wanted to cross a river, he could charge you a tax just for crossing the river. Uh, and, and there were so many taxes that these Mohei uh, tax collectors came up with and would charge people back then that Bible scholars can't even, there's so many of them, they can't even find them all. Uh, they can't even figure them all out because these guys would just, you know, oh, you have glasses, I'm going to charge you a tax. Uh, you're, you're, you're not wearing a tie. I'm going to charge you a tax. You know, it, it, they would just come up with whatever kind of tax that they wanted, uh, again, because they wanted to make the Romans happy with them, and they wanted to pad their pockets. Because if the Romans got what they wanted, they didn't care what the tax collectors took. And so the tax collectors hated men. Uh, they could make you stop at any point on your journey. If you were a merchant or if you were just carrying a load of stuff, uh, grain or, or, or you know, wood or whatever you had. They could make you stop on the road wherever you were, unload everything, examine everything out of your wagon or off of your animal, charge you a tax for it, and then make you put it all back on. Uh, they could, uh, the, their name means, it literally means oppressor. That, that Hebrew word mochei, it literally means oppressor. And that's how they were viewed. They were viewed as someone who was oppressing their own people, working with the enemy. And if you were a mochei that you could hire somebody to collect the tax for you, uh, then you were considered great. You were considered powerful. If you had to sit in your own house and collect the tax from people by yourself, you were considered small. And so Matthew was a small mochei. He would sit at his house at whatever office he had, and make people come to him and collect tax from them himself. Uh, for them in general, for these tax collectors in general, according to the Jewish law, the Talmud, not necessarily the Old Testament law, but just the Jewish religious law, uh, they were considered to be a criminal race. A criminal race of people. Uh, for them to be able to receive repentance and acceptance back into the Jewish religion, to be able to go back into the temple or the synagogue, to be able to engage in religious activities with the rest of the Jewish people around them was nearly impossible. It was very, very difficult for them to do that. They would have had to completely give up their life as a tax collector and go through an extremely rigorous religious repentance uh, uh, rigmarole, a lot of R's there, uh, in order just to get back to uh, where they could be. And Matthew, this, we're just making the account against Matthew. 
Because not only Matthew, was Matthew all of that, and Matthew could do all of that, and Matthew had, uh, was completely disconnected from the Jewish religious life of the day, but Matthew, where he lived, his geography also made him the worst. If, if the Moche is the worst, then Matthew was one of the worst of the worst. Because Matthew lived in the city of Capernaum. And Capernaum is in Galilee. And that's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And those that, those moche that lived around the seashore, when the fishermen brought in their catch of the day or the night, then those moche could go down and charge a tax of the fish for whatever they wanted. They could take up to half the load if they wanted to. And so they were literally stealing the livelihood of their own countrymen, their neighbors around them. And this was Matthew. For Matthew and the publicans like him, repentance and forgiveness, the religion that was taking place around him, the Jewish religion, um, were unattainable in his own power and human desire. And as we look at the call of Matthew, it's interesting because, first of all, he is the, besides the fishermen um, that we read about, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, uh, Matthew's call as a disciple is the only other call where Jesus says, follow me, that we read about in Scripture. Now, and again, we read about it here in Matthew, we read about it in Mark, and we read about it in Luke. Uh, and in all three of them, the account is basically the same. And Matthew is called again from Capernaum in Galilee. And Jesus, before Matthew is called, has spent a lot of time in this area. Again, this is where he's called. He's already called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples. He's already done a lot of miracles. In fact, uh, hold your place in Matthew 9 and go back to Matthew 4. Go to Matthew chapter number 4. And look at verse number 23. This is right after Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Does the great miracle of the fish after he's taught on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He tells them to go out into the boat even though they haven't caught anything and cast their net on the other side and they have the great catch of fish. And then in verse number 23 it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, this is where Matthew lives, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought into him all sick people that were with, taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which, which were lunatic, that's half of a sin here, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. And so Matthew, living in Galilee, living in Capernaum, uh, this was a place that, this was kind of in Galilee, this was Jesus' headquarters. In the, Galilee's up in the north of Israel. This is where Jesus, uh, his headquarters is where Peter lived, where uh, his family lived, where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, and so this is where Jesus kind of based his ministry in Galilee out of. And so Matthew, I'm sure, was very familiar with who Jesus was. Matthew, I'm sure, had heard Jesus teach before. I'm sure Matthew had heard Jesus preach. He might have seen Jesus heal some people. He might have been there on that day. Maybe he was down there at the seashore ready to collect a tax from Peter, Andrew, James, and John when they brought in their fish after Jesus did the miracles. 
I wonder what Matthew saw. I wonder how much Matthew had, had been a part of. He'd heard of this one who was a friend of sinners. We just read where Jesus went into their synagogues and taught where he would go into where the Jewish religious activities would take place. And he would teach and he would explain the Old Testament. Again, explaining the Old Testament for the Jews of how he is the fulfillment of that promise. But listen, in the synagogue, Matthew couldn't go there. Jesus was still far away from Matthew when he was in the synagogue. Matthew was the outcast. Matthew was the rejected one. Matthew was the oppressor. He was the forbidden race that could not go into the synagogue. But now, for Matthew, the little Mohe, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus comes to him, now we're talking. Because now the gap between Jesus and Matthew when Jesus comes to him is not the impassable gap that existed before, when Jesus was in the synagogue and Matthew was just in his custom house. Because now, and again, maybe Matthew witnessed the calling of the other disciples. Maybe he was on the seashore that day. And as he watched Jesus teach, and then he maybe he had been there when Peter, Andrew, James, and John had come back with nothing. And they told them, you know, some threat about make sure you have more the next time. Maybe he stuck around and watched or heard Jesus taught on the seashore. And then as they cast out, he thought, well, here they go again. And then saw them come back with a load. And then watched these men, as they came back to the shore, leave all of it to follow Jesus. Maybe he saw that. I wonder if Matthew was there when, in Matthew chapter number 8. In fact, look there with me. Matthew chapter number 8. And in verse number two, it says, Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I wonder if Matthew saw that. I wonder if Matthew saw. I wonder if Matthew knew the, the man with the palsy that was lowered through the roof. That was in Capernaum. I wonder if he knew that man or his, one of his four friends. I wonder how many taxes he collected from those four guys. And when he heard that this man who had been lame his entire life had been lowered through a roof and this man Jesus had healed him. I wonder if Matthew heard about that. I wonder how much Matthew knew. I wonder if Matthew in his heart, before this moment in Matthew chapter number 9 when Jesus said, follow me, I wonder if Matthew in his heart already wanted that. You know, we wonder, we wonder how Matthew could get up and leave everything that he had. Sure, he was hated by his countrymen, but Matthew was probably pretty well off. And not only was he well off, he had the protection of the Romans around him. So Matthew, if he's willing to just be a traitor to his countrymen, he had, he had it set. He had it made. What could cause Matthew to leave all of that, to give it all up, and to follow Jesus? But maybe it's because he had already made the decision before the question was even asked. Maybe, maybe Matthew had already said, I've seen what Jesus can do, and if he'll call me... If he'll say, follow me, forget it. I'm gone. I'm following him. And as we see the call of Matthew, we see two things that separates Jesus from all other religions or religious systems, including false Christianity, including 
Phariseeism, or however you want to call it, including looking good on the outside, maybe even being saved, but having no true abundant life on the inside. We see two, two things that separate Jesus from all those other things. Our view of sin and the sinner. Our view of sin and the sinner. And maybe more specifically, our view of the forgiveness of sins and the welcome of the sinner. See, when we look at sin in other religions, if sin is acknowledged at all, which it's not always, but if sin is acknowledged at all, then they can only point to forgiveness as a need, but never fully achieved. In other religions, when Jesus is not in the equation, or the Jesus of the Bible is not in the equation, then we know that forgiveness is needed, and maybe we even look to God for forgiveness, but there's never really, that's never really fully realized. We can't achieve that. We can't, we can't reach that. We can't do anything to be good enough to receive that forgiveness, but in Jesus... Because sin has been paid for, forgiveness is a reality. Because sin has been paid for, forgiveness is a reality. And that's what we see in Matthew. The forgiveness that Matthew needed was not found in whatever he had to do to be able to get back into the synagogue. It was found in what Jesus had already done for him and what he would do for him on the cross. Uh, In other religions... When we look at the sinner, the sinner must become whole before he can be accepted by God. He must become whole. In other religions, we have to do things for God to look on us. We have to do things for God to love us. We have to do things to be accepted by God, for God to hear us. But in Jesus, the sinner is accepted the way he is and then made whole. Matthew didn't have to do anything for Jesus to call him. Matthew didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to go to the synagogue. He didn't have to go through the rigmarole that the Jewish leaders and the authorities wanted him to go through to become part of the Jewish religious system of the day. He just had to follow. And Jesus said, I'll make you whole. And for us here, boy, thank the Lord that when Jesus called us with salvation, you and I didn't have to do anything. You don't have to be here today for Jesus to accept you. You you don't have to dress a certain way for Jesus to accept you. You don't have to uh, talk a certain way for Jesus to accept you. You don't have to give a certain amount of money for Jesus to accept you. Jesus accepts you. Now, he wants to make you whole. And he will make you whole. And he'll make you more like he is. When we look at the sinner, Jesus accepts us the way we are. And then he makes us whole. And we find that in the example of Matthew. In these two opposing views, one demands life and one gives life. Jesus, the great physician, has, not come, has come to make us righteous, not with a demand that we be righteous to come to him. Now, he makes us righteous so we can come to him. But we don't have to make ourselves righteous before we come to him. And, you know, as we read throughout the rest of the book of Matthew, this is why the Pharisees are going to have so much issue with Jesus. This is why they don't. This is why they can't stand Jesus. Uh, Because by welcoming the sinner the way he is and promising to make him whole through his work, 
then he completely, Jesus completely destroys their religious system. Righteousness is not meant uh, to make us anything before God. It is given to us by nothing that we have done. Jesus said, the Bible says that we have been given his righteousness. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness by ourselves, the Bible says, is nothing but dirty, filthy rags. It means nothing. It's only the righteousness that we receive through Jesus. And when he accepts us the way we are, he says, now I can make you righteous. I can make you righteous. And so as we look at Matthew, the book of Matthew over the next few months, let's remember that it's written by a man and it's written from a perspective of someone that had no hope, had no opportunity or ability to, in his mind, be a part of anything good or right in his day until Jesus came. And just like you and I, by ourselves, we can't do anything good or right. We can't be a part of anything good or right by ourselves. It's only through Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we'll continue on Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter number one next week. We're going to look at Joseph. Uh, interesting thoughts and facts about Joseph next week. And we'll get to that next week.